0: Joshua James, welcome to the Library Podcast.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Have you never been on this podcast? It's blowing my mind. Am I just that? Am I forgetting? No, this
1: is, <laughs> this is my first time ever on this podcast. It
0: feels like you should have been on this podcast a long time ago. Folks at home, you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, it's the Ferndale Library Podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And I already mentioned that we're being joined by Joshua James. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Musician, educator, band leader, and probably so many other things, arranger, saxophonist, uh, um, any other uh, bullet points or accolades?
1: No, longtime Ferndale resident. That's uh, right.
0: And library lover.
1: No, absolutely. Yes. Uh, friend to the Ferndale library myself. Yes. Heck
0: yeah. And uh, on here on this podcast, of course, because of your your musical life, uh, and and have have been a, a presence in the library in sort of a presentational event programming manner before. Sometimes performing music, sometimes, to my delight and to many delight, sometimes just talking about music gave yeah. one heck of a program, uh, an opera centric program during the quarantine days over Zoom, which was incredible. Really yeah. love that. So I, I just love your musical mind, and and now you're here to talk about more music, which includes, uh, theater bazaar orchestra, which is very That's exciting right. to us. But yeah, for folks at home, Josh, could you just talk about a little bit of your musical career, if you can, distill it into a, a, a little uh brief summary for folks, and especially yeah. and especially tell so... us tell us about <laughs> your 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 jazz life as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I am a Um, professional um, saxophonist by trade, uh, professional composer and arranger by trade. Um, I double on uh, clarinet and flute. Over the years, I've been very fortunate to um, get hired to work in other people's bands, which has been a lot of fun. I've uh, been asked to record on a lot of people's records, which is also fun, um, especially keeping it in Ferndale. I've, I've had a lot of awesome recording experiences at Ferndale's own uh, Temper Mill Studios, um, you know, not far from the library, about half a mile over there on uh, Camborne and Hilton.
0: I feel like I could almost uh, see it from here. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's real close. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, you know, starting off early in the career, I was primarily a side person. Um, and then, you know, as, as many people in my shoes do, we eventually get, as a, as a former band leader once told me, we, we get a bad case of leaderitis and we have to lead our own groups. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's kind of where I, I started, um, putting together my own bands. Um, I've had a couple of different projects under a couple of other names. Um, but the most successful in the past few years has been, um, the Theater Bazaar Orchestra. Uh, and then my other smaller group, which is the aston neighborhood pleasure club and um and so, yeah, and that kind of brings me brings me to today
0: yeah, oh you know i it's a Friday. I always feel like I have excuses on Fridays and Mondays for being scatterbrained, but i was <laughs> I was looking up the history of this library's uh series of concerts, which was started yeah. by uh Kelly Bennett, and that was back in twenty twelve. Yeah. And ever since then, we've been doing monthly concerts. Uh, But also ever since then, we've really been kind of going big in the summer and, like, really making those three shows that we always do in the summer real spectacles and, uh, yeah, just a a great time. And I think that the first one was back, the first time we ever did a summer concert was back in, I think, 2012. But I feel like you... Did a summer concert here? There. What's yeah. that?
1: I was on that. I was on that series, if I recall.
0: That's right, and I can't remember the name of the jazz piece. It was. A it n- was
1: so. I had a. It was a little big band project. It was the Nighthawks Jazz Orchestra. That's it. The Nighthawks. Yeah. Yep. The Nighthawks Jazz Orchestra. Yes, and we played outside in the courtyard. Yep. yep. Uh, I remember it being very hot that Yes, day. it was. <laughs> <laughs> of course, these days, regrettably, it's much hotter than it was. Then. Right.
0: But yeah, yeah. A- eleven years ago, uh and that's. That's really when I met you and I've just seen you go on to yeah. so many things. Uh I, I do feel like you were involved or part of Planet D Nanette for a second.
1: Yes, sure. I was. That was at the same so I was the longtime um music director and like staff uh arranger for the Planet D Nonet, which is a fantastic band. They're still going strong. Um they they're on tour on the west side of the state presently and um, they did a whole bunch of great shows at, uh, Detroit's orchestra hall. Wow. Um, so yeah, that, that band is going strong, but yeah, that's right. Back in 2012, I was still apart, still playing the read three chair and, and writing music for the band.
0: Yes. And so can you take us back, I guess, to perhaps, is it 2014 and, and give us a little bit of the origin of, of theater, Bazaar orchestra?
1: yeah so it was it was great um so at the time the planet dean on um had been hired to play at theater bazaar uh that year previous i believe okay and I, whatever year it was that theater bazaar had um received they were a kresge arts grant recipient mm-hmm. and so that was kind of the beginning of when theater Bazaar really expanded because it used to only ever be one weekend, right? And that was kind of around the era of them moving to two weekends, um, which I, I think that that history is is pretty accurate with the time frame. Yeah, I, well, I'll and, just
0: interrupt you and just give folks a, a an idea of what Theater Bazaar is. It started uh, in the backyard of an artist slash architect, really, John Dunavant, literally in his backyard, creating yeah. his, his own Halloween carnival. And then it kind of expanded and it went to different venues. But the iteration that uh, Josh is referring to is when it kind of moves into the Masonic Temple and, and really does become big in this world-class situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to just to even be a part of that history and that evolution of that event, I mean... Um, that the theater bazaar is known the world over. I mean, not just locally, not just nationally, but but the world over. Um, and that is, and it's all it, it, it is tied one hundred percent to the Detroit arts community, which which is cool. You know, I mean, people talk about you know um, all sorts of things that are like Michigan uh, or Detroit uh, focused, and, and theater bazaar is, is certainly one of them. But yeah, so in that, in that era, the planet d Nanette, you know, just got, got hired to just play some like big band music for the, for the event. And that was also the year when David J was uh, brought in as a guest um, personality for Theater Bazaar. And it was a last minute where uh, RJ, the band leader for the planet d Nanette, I re- remember I was like going for a run back when I was running. And I took a phone call and he was like, hey, Josh, you know, uh, do you know who this David J guy is? Because apparently they, they want us to do some kind of collaboration with them or something. And I like I stopped in my tracks. I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, we have to do this. Um, I can write the music for it. And so that was when I adapted Bella Lugosi's Dead for the Planet D to play. And then I came up with another song, I think it was a version of St. James Infirmary Mm -hmm. uh, that we had done. And and it just it was so successful that afterward I had talked with David, I said, we got to keep this thing going. This is great. Um, And RJ, you know, Planet United is like, "Okay, that's cool. Not quite the bag of this band, but, Mm -hmm. you know, good Yontif, go for it. Like, that sounds like a project you got to you got to see through. And so at that point, that's kind of when I, I left to form the Theater Bazaar Orchestra that focused not only on presenting music for the Theater Bazaar annually, but just really to do original compositions mm-hmm. that's kind of in that style. So it pulls from like 20s and 30s era jazz, but, it, but it's more than that. Um, when, you know When people kind of ask for, well, what kind of genre is that? I like to call it Neo Vaudeville. Ah, um, I like that. Because that's that's really like the best way to describe it. Um, you know, we, we do play a lot of traditional music in a sense, like there's a lot of early Duke Ellington that we play. There's a lot of early Duke Ellington we'll be featuring when we perform at the library in August. But our original material really is, um, it's cinematic, and it's meant to kind of evoke... That vaudeville circuit Mm -hmm. um, with little hints of film noir Mm -hmm. brought in there as well. You know, I mean, for crying out loud, our drummer, uh, Van Hunsberger, for his drum set, he brings everything but the kitchen sink. He's got (laughs) ratchets, a Glockenspiel, a gong, you know, all sorts of kooky percussion items that one would very often see in the dance bands that, you know, used to be over at the Greystone Ballroom you know, in the twenties and thirties in Detroit, uh, we have a tuba player. Um, we have uh, a trombonist that doubles on bass harmonica. Uh, you know, the guitar chair also has banjo. Um, we have bass clarinets, uh, Barry saxophones, bass saxophones, you know, just every, every nutty, every nutty possible thing. And so it did it. The, the whole idea started with that partnership, with David J and it just mm-hmm. it took off from there
0: The word flavorful came into my head just now or, you know, or, uh, zesty dynamic, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, yeah, I was gonna, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to sit down with Josh. How, how do I ask him about how he goes from, uh, Duke Ellington's, uh, caravan to, David Jay's, you know, Bauhaus situation. That's such a. <laughs> but, you know, can you, uh, and I do want to ask a little bit more about just forming the band, but like talk, I guess, a little bit more about that, just the variety that you can find under the umbrella of jazz, because what is it? I just can't put my finger on it, but something like that, uh, the snaky melodies that you find yeah. in something like Caravan yeah. by Duke Ellington. Sounds... Enticing, alluring, also kind of a little creepy, a little ominous. Uh, there's just something interesting going on there that you are definitely tapping into.
1: I'm trying to, so I'm glad that you're 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 grabbing that. Yeah. Um, so if if you go back historically and you, and you look at the origins of of jazz, um, and so there, there are all sorts of genres, subgenres, and it's kind of delineated by era, right? So people think of like the proto jazz being, you know, early ragtime music, which was, you know, primarily, um, you know, promulgated by folks like Scott Joplin. Mm -hmm. That's like the big household name, but it was basically like a pianistic style. And so that concept of swing that really evolved and that we think of with jazz, it came out of this, this ragged time that just, it started permeating all throughout the country. Um, and and you really do have to look at New Orleans as really being the epicenter of that that kind of music. So, like what you're describing, the the melodies, the mm-hmm. rhythms, right, the sounds really do come from New Orleans. Now, I have to say, you know, Wynton Marsalis and his um, his um, series on on jazz. Um, like he really does a great job. It wasn't his series, but he was featured prominently in that famous PBS documentary on jazz. And he talks a lot about the origins and he really does say it best. You know, he refers to the musicians and the music in early new Orleans as being like a gumbo. There was a lot of different musical styles that were really starting to mesh and intertwine. And so if you go back and check out a lot of those original bands they utilize a lot of these sounds that also pull from what we would consider <clears throat> excuse me like european classical music so there's this overlap very early of kind of like european classical music sensibility with blues ragtime even to some extent bluegrass but that's kind of where that early trad jazz and the hot jazz and those dance bands like you listen to the sounds that they're that they're making especially in the saxophone the tone is very different than what when you talk to someone about jazz and they're thinking about you know like later period duke ellington or they think about swing music or they they think about you know john coltrane or miles davis you hear the the saxophone the trumpet the trombone in these contexts and you're like what that's what i think of jazz what's all this other stuff right you know and and but that really is more the original sound of the music before it evolved into the swing era of the 30s going into the bebop era of like the late 30s and the 40s which then transitioned into like that hard bob era 50s and 60s and then you got like the post bop and kind of where we're at today where, you know, it, what, what we do sounds very different than a contemporary jazz, jazz musician. So I like to think about it as, you know, going back into the the family tree of jazz and saying, Oh, okay, we're going to take this and we're just going to build a branch off that branch and just keep going in that direction if we could. And it's great because there, there are actually a lot of bands today that play in that style. Um, I had a good opportunity to to meet and hang with a lot of the the current members of the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Right. Which they had a huge heyday in the 90s and then they kind of like fell off the scene for a minute. But then they've reconstituted and they've been cranking out albums left and right for like the past 10 years. And what's interesting is that the band as a band like Jimbo Malthus, the leader, like he moved to New Orleans. So if you listen to the sound that they're doing today, as opposed to what was big in the nineties, they have a lot of that New Orleans sound mm-hmm. that I would say, like, you know, the Theater Bazaar Orchestra very much is also similar to like what the current iteration of Squirrel Nut Zippers is doing. And it's that aesthetic. And there's actually a lot of bands in New Orleans that that are doing that kind of thing. Um, oh, another contemporary band that that kind of is in that aesthetic, the Hot Sardines um, is another one that comes to mind. Um, Tuba Skinny, which they're active, they're present in New Orleans, and they were featured at the Detroit Jazz Festival within the past five years. So it's definitely part of like a national aesthetic that has, I would say, the culture of New Orleans at its center, but not just old New Orleans, but how New Orleans is today. And, you know, and forgive me for like di- going on this, this trip too long, but th- it's, it's, it, it seems that there's a greater connection between Detroit and New Orleans now more than ever. Um, I spend a lot of time down there. You know, I visit down there a couple times a year. I took the Theater Bazaar Orchestra down to New Orleans back in, I think it was 2016 or 2017, we did some gigs down there. We have invited some of those musicians up here to play with us. And, you know, if you go down to New Orleans, there's a lot of Detroit Mm -hmm. expats in New Orleans. There are a lot of New Orleans expats in Detroit. And really it was when New Orleans suffered, you know, um, Hurricane Katrina and, you know, the, the impression I got from a lot of the people that were on the ground dealing with that was that they felt a sense of abandonment by their city and officials and government. Very similar in the way that Detroit coming out of the seventies, going into the eighties had felt. Right. And so there was this connection where even though new Orleans is an older city than Detroit, there was a lot of like, oh, our neighbors, our friends up in Detroit, they get it. They understand having this giant catastrophe happen and then it completely changing the landscape of the city and, you know, the culture and the relationship between the residents with their city and and how things are viewed. And so I think that out of the, the rebuilding and the healing from Katrina, I just, I feel like these connections, have really strengthened where it's like, hey, New Orleans, we know, we've been there. <laughs> you know, you're our big little brother. We're gonna help you out. We know how this works. And and so I and I think that there's like that connection. And plus, there are a lot of Detroit, like historical Detroit musicians. So like Don Redmond and the McKinney's Kant Pickers, the McKinney's Kant Pickers, that was a huge hot jazz, early jazz ensemble that that has a, a huge connection and, and its roots in the Detroit music scene. And so you go far, far back enough in the 20s, you start seeing like these cats that were playing in New Orleans, like up oh, going up to Detroit, gonna get a job and working in the scene up there. Right. So it's it's just kind of capitalizing on a lot of these shared cultural elements that both cities have had and musically for, for decades, for, yeah. you know, over 100 years at this point.
0: Yeah. I, just, I was picturing a map in my head and basically yeah. you you see New Orleans and you can just see the this artery of an interstate going up, 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 up. We're almost directly above them and you yeah. think of, you think of the Great Migration and you think of, well, what are the cities that became known for jazz and blues? Well, it just goes straight up St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit, <laughs> just right.
1: straight up right. like an artery. Yeah. And, and right. And, and it's funny cause like, you know, New York, New York really is considered kind of the epicenter of, you know, uh, U S jazz or like jazz in the United States. But you know, it really did. It, it's not like it started there. Mm-hmm. It, it had to kind of wend its way around right. to kind of go up there. Um, and, and then you see all the hot, all the really big names, New Orleans, they made their way to Kansas city, to Chicago, and then oh, we get the call. We're going to New York, you know, which Duke was coming out of Washington D.C. at that point, right? But was in the in the the right place at the right time to meet a lot of these people in that journey, and so you know he was he was supremely aware of what was happening and that movement, um, and yeah, it's just it it's cool, and it never it never really died. It evolved, but there have always been people that have kept that music going. I think, again, like a great other contemporary iteration right, and this is like the Detroit Connection is the Gabriel Brass Band, right? So even though yeah, so like even though the Gabriel Brass Band, I would say like musically very different from the Theater Bizarro Orchestra, we have a shared sense of like the horn band sound of New Orleans, which is very contemporary, right? Like that's you are talking about like trombone shorty that comes right out of that tradition of the horn bands you know which which has like the marching band element to it tbo we do that we we play we have a couple of songs where we do that well the cool thing with the gabriel brass band is that damian gabriel who runs that band great trumpet player that that is a detroit institution i mean he is he is the relative of the great saxophonist charlie gabriel in new orleans who just celebrated what was it his 93rd birthday and who is like one of the the eminent saxophonists of preservation hall down in new orleans so like even today you can see these very clear relationships that and and the elders are still with us like yep hey you know still here i'm still making music and we're still doing stuff together so yeah it's it's alive and well
0: I have going back to flavorful, uh, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to lay a lot, a lot on the table and you can kind of put the puzzle together for me, but, uh, sure. we have the word, uh, orchestra in the name yeah. and yeah. it was a band formed if at least initially and possibly primarily to play in a masquerade setting, uh, yeah. theater bizarre, yeah. masquerade orchestra, uh, October Halloween. So I'm thinking. Oh well, of course it would be ideal if we could have a band that's dipping a little bit of their toe into kind of a kind of that uh, 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 Bach Toccata and Fugue kind of thing, with a little oh, bit yeah. of little bit of Camille Saint-Saens' uh, Dance Macabre, but then yes. bring it yeah. up to Cab Calloway. Uh, and then yeah. I also think it's so telling, you know. Um, every time Halloween comes around, I always see those clips of uh Cab Calloway, St. James Infirmary and and Betty Boop. There's something again going back to that creepy allure of jazz. But yeah. then you guys are in the tuxes and the masks and that gives me the dance macabre vibe, but then there's the Cab Calloway vibe. Tell me about all these vibes you got going on.
1: No, right. Well, and so part of our bag is finding what seems like disparate points within the tradition, within multiple musical traditions and trying to find the common the common thread and connecting them all together. Um, so one, uh, we, we do have a new album. It's, it's been released on our website, uh, given to fans digitally. We're in the process of trying to put it out um, you know, like Spotify and YouTube. But we have uh, our fourth record called Relic and Twilight uh, features uh, a song, believe it or not, by um, Shostakovich and it is and it is specifically it, it, it is one that he wrote. It says jazz waltz number two. And so, you know, it's like, well, what what you're doing Shostakovich? What is that? Well, in the early 20th century, you know, there were so many European composers that were influenced by American jazz and especially the sound and usage of saxophones in a way that is very different than how the French were using them at the time. And they they wrote for that, um, Shostakovich being one of them. A lot of other composers were what Berlioz was an avid supporter of the saxophone as like this legitimate orchestral instrument. And so You know it's 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 the back and forth because we get the the ray contour the storyteller that is cab calloway and he's definitely coming out of the the early jazz tradition going into the swing tradition but also that character of the storyteller within within the broader tradition and it it comes right out of you know louis armstrong and, and storyville and Hanging out in all those, you know, houses of ill repute where the music was born, and that's just that's just part of that aesthetic that various artists have incorporated into their music. Because I mean, and and this is, um, I'm embarrassed to say this. So for years, when I was singing early on with the orchestra, and then even in some of my other projects, people would come up to me afterwards and would say, "Oh, you listen to Tom Waits, don't you?" And I'm like. (laughs) You know, cause I, cause I have that kind of a character when I sing mm-hmm. and I, and I felt really sheepish and I was like, I really, I, I know who he is, but I've never had an opportunity to really investigate his music. And it wasn't until, um, last year. I'm like, I really have to investigate, you know, his oeuvre and check out what he's doing. And I had a colleague's like, okay, I'm glad you're ready for this, Josh. Let's, let's do it. So I've covered various iterations of his music and various parts of his career um but i would say that like that is another example of like tom waits taps into that same not all the time but in a lot of his music taps into that same ethos that you know cab calloway was tapping into mm-hmm. and that that kind of comes out of a lot of that music there are some really really quirky and funny um music that was written in the 20s and 30s that have like huge um subversive lyrics lots of you know rife with double entendres Mm -hmm. and it was the whole like you have to laugh to keep from crying because for for many of the writers of the music it you know life wasn't great they were in servitude Mm -hmm. they were in bondage um if they were free as we all know i mean and our country still isn't great with this Mm -hmm. just treating these creators of this art like. you know, like less than human beings. Right. So, so you, you see, and you hear in a lot of this early music, this sense of this is, it's, it's a catharsis. It's Mm -hmm. a way of trying to deal with the trauma Mm -hmm. that they're dealing with on a daily basis. And, and I think that that goes into a lot of that spookiness, right? It's the dark, the dark side of human nature, right. Is, is brought out to play. It's like, we have to acknowledge the darkness, so we can process it and get past it, and let's never forget. So we're going to keep singing these songs, and and bringing up these characters. You know, I mean, um, it's it, it's very reminiscent too of a lot of the the cultures and religions that were very active and influential in New Orleans at the times. I, I'm forgetting the character's name. You might know but it's it's the um, traditional um, West at Afri- West African. Trickster god of uh, the spider, um, that comes up oh. in a lot of um, I'm, is uh,
0: it's a Nazi or a Nazi, yes,
1: that yeah, and yes. so, mm-hmm. like, that is. I mean, if when I started reading that folklore and those stories, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's that culture's version of a Cab Calloway character, mm-hmm. right? No different than even some of the characters that Louis Armstrong, right, like the, the famous uh tragedy, on you know. I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you. You know, like, that's that same kind of, you know, impish commentary on what's happening. And, you know, there's multiple layers beyond what is just very apparent. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of subtext, you know, go check out the song Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? Like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, No, when I get low, I get high, you know, there's, there's a lot, it's not, and, you know, and and it's funny too, because especially in, in today's era where a lot of, a lot of cities, a lot of states are really trying to control information and media and what they, they feel their citizens should be exposed to. Uh, I mean, it, it's, that it, it's not like we're somehow doing something differently today. Mm-hmm. We have over a hundred years of, of songs that were meant to say like, Oh, okay, sure. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm on the level. But for those in the know, you know, what I'm really talking about, right. you know, what we're really discussing here. Right. Um, and, and sure we'll, we'll, we'll tone it down, but you know, we're not, we're not going to stop talking about these really challenging things. So. Right. No.
0: acknowledging the darkness was I could not have put it better than that and like my brain going I'm thinking about what else do we associate with New Orleans as far as acknowledging the darkness is the way in which they go through the, uh, the experience of a funeral uh, it was way more different it, there's, it's something celebratory uh, yeah. or it's this way of like acknowledging the darkness to keep it from having power over you I don't know it's very powerful
1: I I like how you said that, Jeff. I think that's a good, I I think it's, you, you take, you you take the power Mm -hmm. away from death and you acknowledge it's there and that you've got to live with it, Right. but that, you know, you you still have control over your life.
0: Right. And then Um, Tom Waits, of course, continuing that. And I'm so glad you got to finally meet his music you know he'll sing songs yeah. like "Misery's the river of the world or god's away yeah. on business and make them feel like gospel songs
1: yeah oh absolutely yeah 100 um and it is it's 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 the the uh perpetual allegory of mm-hmm. you know you're battling the devil yeah and and you know maybe that's rooted in the you know Christian mindset of right. of the devil, but it's really it's more than that. It's it's battling, you know, whatever the devil is, yeah. your demon, society's demons, right? And you got to wrestle with it and right. grapple with it and sing a song about it and talk about it. Right. And, and there's something that there's something about when you name it or can talk about it. Yeah. You you do take away, like you said, you take the power, you own the power from it.
0: Yeah. When you can converse or you push your own you know, power back at it and um you just get level ground with it yeah. i think of yeah and that's a very important like halloween should be a time where we are really unpacking or acknowledging or dealing with the whole spectrum of darkness not just the fun trick or treating or the costumes etc there's this is a time it's you know it which is a, it's always an appropriate time when you get into the autumn time of the year you know yeah. uh yeah. N, which some people say sam hayne it's you know that yeah. translates to summer's end and it's really this is the time and you know august 22nd that's you know summer's dwindling away it's the yeah. time of year yeah. where we think of the the greens and the yellows are now going to turn to uh crimsons and and then grays and then oh yeah well it's the life into death and you know that's when we get into spooky time that's why we make Spooky music. Um, so yeah, just I'm very excited about your album. You, I should say, you had uh, 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 is it's Carpe Noctem. Yeah, that, was, that the, was our
1: first record. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: with uh, with David J under a yeah. moniker. Yeah, uh, MC Nightshade, and then you had Dance with the Devil. Dance with that
1: the Devil. The second one. Yep, mm-hmm. Dance with the Devil, and that one won a Detroit Music Award for best jazz recording
0: that year. Heck yeah. And then we, when we do talk about Theater Bazaar Orchestra, we also talk about elements of uh, kind of cabaret and burlesque coming in. And that's really accentuated with These Are My Friends where you collaborate with Satori Circus, who's a performance artist slash musician here in town.
1: Yeah, that was such a fun record too. Because, you know, he he had all this music that he brought in. Um, some of it totally fleshed out, some of it just ideas. And so, like, I had the the cool opportunity to then take his music. You know, a lot of which had electronic elements, and then adapt it for our ensemble. And you know, how do we work him into that? And man, and and a lot of our a lot of the musicians in the band really really enjoyed that project of you know collaborating with an artist to do to do that kind of a that kind of a work um you know and it's funny because with the four so if you look at our records the first and third mm-hmm. were collaborations with a pretty strong artist you know musician and and performance artist in their own right and our second and our fourth are primarily instrumental um, that focus on the the musical arrangements and so there i will acknowledge there is a pattern so the idea is like the next one is going to be another collaborative with with an artist to 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 make something happen so um but yeah i mean each each record does take like a whole different carpe noctum is definitely i would say like the spookiest but the other three also have those elements in it you know, the second one is very much in in the realm of like music for burlesque and that relationship to burlesque. The third one really kind of marries the two in Satori Circus as as the character, as the performance art and performance artist, what that looks like. Rollick and Twilight*. The fourth really deals with this the sense of like the early theaters um, and going to hear the dance band and in and the theater and, and just. the whole thing was done live in an old theater um to kind of capture that sound of of that that live i'm going to hear you know the this pit orchestra present, or you know like a uh, operatic orchestra present some music so it really is rooted in the theater in the stage even though it's musical um and so again across all four of those albums each one has their own direction But again, it's finding those, those singularities where like you can, you can connect the thread between them to make it work. So.
0: And then just uh, tell us a little bit about what you're excited about, looking forward to the library show. I think you mentioned at the very, very beginning of our chat, um, maybe it's just some of the songs you might bring or some of the, some of the vibes you might bring.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, the, the thing I'm most excited about with our library performance is um, this really is going to be an opportunity to kind of see how the sausage is made. So it's the full Theater Bazaar orchestra, um, but we're going to let our hair down a little bit. And so we're, the music that we present, we're going to talk a lot about. We're going to tell the folks, hey, here's what I want you to listen for. Um, we're going to have all the musicians demonstrating their sounds. We're gonna talk a little bit about the concept of improvisation, what it takes to play in the band, what we look for, um, and we're, we're it's gonna be, all of our music is gonna span all four records. Um, we're definitely gonna play a lot of stuff from our most recent, but we're gonna bring forth, you know, material from the first, second, and third records uh, as well. Um, there will be some instrumental. I'm gonna sing some stuff. Um, we're also going to do some music that hasn't been recorded yet. Um, one that I would uh, very much like to do that that brings up that Tom Waits character, that uh, Cab Calloway character. We do an arrangement, and I'm very excited about this. We do an arrangement that I wrote uh, for two years ago where it is people are strange, right? The doors, people yeah. are strange. But it ends with... Poor Unfortunate Souls from The Little Mermaid. And so we, we we bring them together and we've adjusted the lyrics a little bit um, to make of Poor Unfortunate Souls really kind of... And because what's great is, here's a song that was written for a Disney movie, mm-hmm. but then if you even look at that character of Ursula, that speaks to that same aesthetic, that, that ethos, you know, that that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I almost say, you know, there's been a lot of, um, I have yet to see the live action version of the movie, which I I still really want to see. Um, but it's really interesting. There, there's this whole like subculture of, of fan fiction or surrounding Ursula where it's Ursula got a bum, bum rap and it, but it's very much in that same vein of the musical wicked where it's like, you know, don't, you don't know what's going on. You know, this character is vilified. But, but what brought them to that point? And why is this the perception? And so... Redemption. And, and, yeah, yeah, right. And but, but I think there's something to it where, you know, it's the old adage, right? History is, is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a lot of stories, especially if you go back to opera, a lot of stories really, like, you need to have you're, you're, you're a bad guy. You need to have your, your, your devil character. I mean, I'm going to be really silly here. Look at, at professional wrestling, right? It's the same concept, right? Like you need a heel. heel. Everyone needs a heel. And there's, there's a reason for that. It's part of telling the story. It's part of telling the narrative. But I think even more importantly is acknowledging that, you know, the, the heel is sometimes fabricated. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the scapegoat. It's the nain rouge mm-hmm. of of the culture. It's we need to put all of our negative energy on this person, on this character, to be done with it um, and to get it out. But it's at the expense. Usually, someone suffers, and it's like I didn't do anything wrong. I'm I'm not I'm not a bad person. I don't know why you're blaming me. You know. So it's um, it, it it taps into that. It taps into that that aesthetic.
0: Sounds like you're suggesting some sort of sympathy for a devil of some kind. <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's just like one person's trash is another person's treasure. Oh yeah. One, one person's devil is another person's savior. So right. it's just a matter of perspective. Right. Ah.
0: Well, Joshua James, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, and, always love talking music with you i could do it for two more hours actually uh and always always glad to have you at the ferndale library uh and folks you're hearing this in time to mark your calendars for august 22nd at 6 30 p.m here inside the library we're gonna have as josh said the theater Bizarre orchestra showing you how the spooky jazz sausage is made and i that's right
1: i like that yeah. i can't wait
0: uh josh thanks so much for joining us
1: Jeff, thank you so much for for having me on today, and thanks uh, for for helping us come to the library later on, August 22nd, to do this performance. Uh, And folks out there, support your local library. Um, Become a friend to your library. We need strong libraries and uh, strong um, community members to support our libraries now more than ever. So uh, I'm a friend of my library. My whole family is. Uh, I hope that that you will be as well.
0: Because how cool is it that you can just walk into a library and say, "Oh my gosh, there's a free concert where I get just get to see the entire theater music orchestra, and it's just right. happening here right. on a weeknight right. for right. free."
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well,
0: well that Absolutely. that leads us to shout out the 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 friends of the ferndale library at ferndalefriends.org where you can find more information about supporting this podcast and joining them and supporting the library we thank you of course for listening to another episode of a little too quiet it's uh the ferndale library podcast uh you heard a chat with joshua james and wolf court we're going to have more information in the show notes where you can find more about the music of theater bazaar orchestra maybe even sample a little bit there's some great videos online Uh, to give you a, a taste of their flavor if you haven't seen them yet and please be here august 22nd and on as far as this podcast goes we'll be back next week with more episodes thanks for listening